Welcome to DBC, everybody. How are we? Well, good morning to you. I am happy to be here, and I'm glad that you're here, too. And uh, I've really been looking forward to these two talks, last week's talk and this week's talk, because these things are so near and dear to my heart. And, and this isn't just like pastor speak. This is literally, these truths have shaped my life. So sadly, I want to tell you this. I don't have my It's Personal shirt on. So uh, I know last week I got to wear my It's Personal shirt. I only have one. So this is my It's Impersonal shirt. So I just have to apologize for you with that. I didn't wear the, want to wear the same shirt. And I, I told Marley yesterday, or I asked her, I said, hey, well, I don't have a shirt to wear. She's like, just wear a shirt. I was like, yeah, but it's not personal anymore. Like we lost everything we gained last week. Of course, that's not true. So because I have my impersonal shirt on, I want to tell you a personal story and then maybe I can recoup my losses. Thumbs up if you with that. You with that? Thumbs up. Thank you. Most of you have thumbs anyway. All right. So there we go. So I want to tell you just a brief story about my life. Some of you know this. Some of you don't know this. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 21. I wasn't raised in church. I, I was kind of dropped off at churches as a kid. I had all sorts of theological uh, just experiences, I'll put it that way. Things that they said were theology, but just didn't necessarily line up with what I consider good, proper theology now. So I had no basis of understanding of the Scriptures prior to the age of 21 when I gave my life to Jesus. And when I gave my life to Jesus, it's because a few people had decided they would invite me to church. It's interesting. We had a friend, this, I was in the Navy at the time, and a friend of, of Marla and I, our friend by the name of Sue, she invited us to church, and I really believe that she was inviting us to church because she wanted us to be there, but then also because she wanted her husband to be there because <laughs> he wasn't attending. So it's like, hey, if I can get them, maybe hubby will come too. And eventually he did for a couple times anyway, but that plan really doesn't work. That's a sermon for another day. But she tried that. But what she did do was she invited us into this, into this community of faith that had made a difference in her life. And they were so welcoming to her, and they were incredibly welcoming to us. So we went into this church, and I, I don't know how many months we were there, but all I know is I experienced just a realm of love that I had never experienced before. And so there was uh, this... As we're just normally attending, there was this older couple, really two older couples. One of the couples, I cannot remember their name, but they were incredibly loving. And uh, so they had a part in our story. But then there was another couple by the name of Neil and Sally Adams. And I, I've said their name many times in the almost nine years that I pastored here because I believe that it's important when, you talk, when, when you're giving a testimony to God's goodness, so much of God's goodness is done through people. And it, these are the type of people who God has really shown to be good by inviting us into, into really what was their Sunday school group. That was interesting. They led the college and career Sunday school group. Well, I was in the Navy, knew I was getting out, so it wasn't a career, and neither one of us were in college, so we're like, I don't know, I, I guess we'll try this place, and it kind of fit, and they fit us, although we, we, we kind of sat in the back of the room, and we didn't necessarily fit in with all the people who were there, who we did fit in was with Neil and Sally. They made us feel like we could belong. They were personal to us, they, they loved us, and they cared for us, 
And it was because of them and because of the other couple that I really wish I knew their name. It was this other couple, honestly, that has shaped all of our faith journey because this other couple, he, he actually attended a Promise Keepers men's group that met on Tuesday nights at the church. And he says, hey, I want you to come out for this Promise Keepers thing. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's a bunch of guys that we get together and we talk about Jesus and we talk about everyday life. And I was like, I, I don't know much about any of that. So sure, let me jump in. And I did, and, and they gave me a place to belong where it was men being men, and yet they were talking about their faith in a real way, and they give me some, uh, they give me like a New Testament, this is before I even had a Bible, they gave me a, a Promise Keeper's New Testament, I still have it, it was awesome, and, and they gave me a space to belong, this is really, I believe that it wasn't for these couples, the unnamed couple and Neil and Sally Adams, I wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't be doing the things for men that I'm doing through my the stuff I do on the side and through a new kind of man. I would not be the man that I am without their part to play because they made their faith personal. They made their faith personal. But making faith personal, anything really, making anything personal is difficult because most of us, I'll just kind of, I'll just say it in this way, we're raised up with the shallow way. We're raised up in the shallow way. The shallow way is formed even when our personalities are formed before middle school. We're just formed with the shallow way of, you, you know, you have certain things that happen in your life that lead you to the personality and the disposition that you have. If you're introvert, extrovert and all the other things that make you complicated, make people complicated. And yet we're, we're conditioned in such a way to live in the shallow way. We are. And sometimes the shallow way is, is okay. Like if I go to, if I didn't go to Starbucks this morning. Usually I do with uh, G and I, we roll through Starbucks through the drive-thru and one of the baristas I, I very often see is a, is a lady by the name of Mindy. She has helped us. She made coffee for us for years. And if I were to see Mindy, right? And if I were to go up and, and she would say, hey, how are you? And I would say, well, I'm not very good. And then I would just sit there and I would just unload on her everything about my life. And then I would give her the condition of my kids. And then the condition of my life. And then I would tell her about everything else. And then I would talk about the issues in the world. And then I can't believe this person did this. And if I were to sit down there for 30 minutes in the, in the, in the Starbucks drive-thru and talk about my issues, I think that'd create an issue, wouldn't it? Another issue. It's called cars wrapped around the building. And unfortunately, there's only two trucks that look like mine in the community. So you're going to be able to pinpoint who it is pretty quick. And I'm probably going to get a knock on my door and be like, dude, what are you thinking? I was like, well, I was just... I was just talking to Mindy about stuff, right? There's a time and place to be shallow. Like if you're getting your picture, if you're going to take a picture and put it on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, it's okay that you, you frame up this perfect picture. You frame it up and you're like, this is going to be awesome. I don't want to use a filter because I want to use the hashtag no filter. So if I'm going to have no filter and I want to be true to it, I'm not going to put a filter. So what we are doing is we're going to get the lighting just right and be like, Yes, it's good. The lighting's good. We're going we're gonna to frame it up and be like, whoa, got to get that dirty clothes basket out of the way. Whoa, got to move that out of the way. Yes, perfect picture. There's nothing wrong with that. that. That's a shallow thing, right? There's nothing wrong with that, the shallow way. So it's okay to be shallow in some instances. It's okay to be shallow in some instances. If you're talking to your barista, please be shallow. Be kind, be, be courteous, be shallow, Right? Clock's ticking. I got to get in here to preach. Please do that for me, if anything. So it's okay to be shallow in some instances. When you go to the doctor, just visit your doctor. He's not a counselor. Leave, right? 
That's just somebody, we got a waiting room full of people. It's okay to be shallow in some instances. When you're framing up that picture, again, it's okay to be shallow. But it's not okay to always be shallow. It's not okay to always be shallow. Because if you're always shallow, then you're going to be distant and cold. If you're always shallow, you're, you're eventually going to end up lonely. But here's what we do in church world, not just capital C church around the world. We're, I'm not talking in some vague sense. I'm talking of Dublin Bible Church world. Here's what I've seen. is Instead, we say, well, we're not going to be in the, in the shallow way. No, we're going to be in the deep way. And by deep way, what we really mean is this. We're going to talk about religious things, and we're going to get into some deep Bible studies. We're going to get into some, some we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We're going to talk about the Greek and Hebrew. We're going to talk about the Palestinian architecture. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about what they ate, how they slept, what the families looked like. We're going to talk about all of those details. And really what we're doing is we're actually creating another way to be shallow. We're just creating another way to be shallow. And say, no, we're deep in theology. We're deep in theological debates. We're deep in these Bible studies. We're deep. And really what you're saying is, I'm distant from people, which is another way of being shallow. Do you see that? It's just another way of being shallow. So in, in, in church circles, in our circles, sometimes we've, we've said, no, we're, we're going to be deep. And really what we mean is, we're just being shallow, but we've just got a mask. We're just masking it in such a way, to, and yet what we've done is create distance between us and other people. So, although the opposite of shallow is what? Deep, right? So now we've talked about how that looks like in you know, religious talk, like we're deep, right? Let me use my deep voice for that. You're welcome. But I want to give you a better alternative. Instead of saying, no, we're deep because we don't want to be shallow. Instead, how about we just resort to doing what Jesus did and he was personal. Jesus was just personal. Jesus never got too busy doing his work that he avoided people. He just didn't. He never saw, well, I've got all of these things going on. Sorry, I just can't stop and talk. Instead, no, he would stop and deal with the people when he could. This is true of, of really all of the Gospels in the storyline of Jesus, that when he would be personal with people. So I want to break down this a little bit further so you, you see a contrast between shallow and personal. You see, shallow is fast, but personal takes time. Shallow is fast. I mean, if I'm going through the drive-thru, like, hey, Mandy, see you. All right, got to go. That's fast, right? And the quicker, the quicker that they can get my blonde, flat white ready for me, if I could just drive by and just throw the money and it would be enough or whatever, and I just get my, my cup and go, I mean, I'm fired up and I'm ready to come in here. I'm ready to preach, ready to be with you. Shallow is fast, but personal takes time. Shallow is also easy, and personal is complicated. Let's be honest. Shallow is easy. It's easy to exchange pleasantries. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. How's your day going? It's great. Oh, the sun's out. I know it's not raining today. What, what's, what, you know, well, the forecast for Thursday and Friday or Wednesday and Thursday is supposed to be in the 80s. Oh, I can't wait. 
Shallow is easy. Personal is complicated. That means that, that it's going to take something of you. Shallow is safe, but yet personal is risky. Shallow is safe. Shallow is I can control my environment. I can control my relationships. I can control, get this, how much time I spend with you. But personal is risky. Personal is risky because that means I'm risking some time. I'm risking some emotional real estate. I'm, I'm risking myself. You see, shallow is certain and personal is unresolved. Shallow is certain, but personal is unresolved. See, the reason why shallow is certain is, again, because you're controlling outcomes. You're controlling environments. You're controlling relationships. I can control how much time you get in and how much time I give you. See, that's shallow. That's certain. There are fine lines, and they're, they're, they're just clearly defined. But personal is unresolved because that means that it's going to take something of me. Shallow is dismissive, but yet personal is honest. Shallow is dismissive. Shallow is, hey, how are you? And if somebody actually tell, tells you how you are, shallow is like, okay, sorry to hear that, got to go. But personal is honest. Personal is honest in a way to where if you ask somebody how they're doing, you, you ask someone about their day. You ask them about the condition of their marriage. You ask them about the condition of their parenting. You ask them of their walk with God. Instead, shallow is dismissive and saying, oh man, I really hate to hear that. Oh, I'll pray for you and then leave. Or in a vague sense, you know, on Facebook with praying hands, we're good and we're out, required nothing of me. That's dismissive, but personal is honest. Shallow is familiar and personal is unpredictable. Shallow is familiar. Again, control. I can control all these things. But personal is unpredictable. Shallow costs me money, but personal costs me. See, I, I, one of the things that I, I realized a few years ago is my schedule for the first, I would say, six, seven years of being here I would schedule out 100% of my day, every day that I was in the office, 100%. And some of you are like, yes, that's what you should do. The problem with that, that whole thing was the moment that someone would come through the doors that didn't have an appointment or the moment that somebody would come through the doors just to talk or somebody would come through the doors for whatever, maybe just come in to have a cup of coffee, somebody who would just maybe wanted to come in to say hi, somebody who would call me and say, hey, what are you doing for lunch? I scheduled out 100% of my day, which then led me to be shallow in this, because when these people would come in, I would not be present with them. I was thinking, I just scheduled out 100% of my day, and now you're taking from, from some of that percent that was designated for something else or someone else. I realized that in my ministry, I was becoming shallow, the very thing I didn't want to be. So what I did, and you may consider me unproductive, and that's okay. What I did was, I said, no longer am I going to schedule out 100% of my week. I'm just not. Instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule in about 70 to 80%, and I'm going to leave the last 20% just for pop-up occurrences. So then, I don't have to settle for shallow. Instead, I can be personal. And by me re reprioritizing my time, 
What I allowed was when somebody says, hey, what are you doing? Or somebody just pops in. Then I can be fully present with them and I can be as personal as I possibly can. This is what Jesus did. Jesus' ministry was deeply personal. What Jesus offered the people and what I, I want us to see today through the individual that Jesus is interacting with for the most part is Jesus imparts hope. And I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. That we are here to be salt and light. We are here to be sharing the good news of Jesus to all generations. You see, Jesus not only came to give us hope in, in some, some vague sense, He did it in a personal way. His way was like this. Jesus became human to prove that God loves humans. Jesus became human to prove that God loves humans. That's personal. Jesus became human to show humans how to love God. The, the religion of the Old Testament just wasn't cutting it. They had a lot of rules. But even God knew that there was this distance between those who were very religious and the people. Jesus was personally closed that gap. Jesus became human to show humans how to love humans. It's incredible. So I have some things here just to further prove this point about how Jesus made his ministry personal. He made it personal by touching people who had diseases. He spoke respectively to a scandalous woman. He wept at the tomb of a friend. He broke a rule to get someone out of trouble. He met leaders privately in the middle of the night. He washed the feet of his disciples. If we started that, I think it would get personal really quick, wouldn't it? He invited himself to a wild party, and he played with toddlers. Why? Because Jesus didn't see humans the way that average humans see humans. The people in that day, they saw people, they saw humans differently. And Jesus, when he came into his ministry, Jesus, he came to, to be with humans and to show humans that the way that they look at themselves is wrong. Because Jesus didn't see humans the way that average humans see humans. He looked at them and he saw something different. He didn't see something I need to be shallow about. Instead, he wanted to be personal. That, that God took on flesh and he dwelt among us. That's what it says in John 1. That's personal. That God is not just some cosmic God who's totally removed from us and understanding us. Instead, his ministry was deeply personal just who God is. Jesus honored those who were disgraced. He befriended those who were marginalized. He embraced those who were rejected. He forgave those who had been shunned, and he believed in those who were broken. Doesn't that sound like the opposite of shallow living? Sounds like the exact opposite. I'll say it in this way. Jesus never got so busy trying to save everyone that he didn't stop and help someone. Jesus never got so busy trying to save everyone that he didn't stop and help someone. What we're going to see today in Luke 19 is this perfect example. Mind you, Jesus is on the way to the cross. He is on the way to the cross, but he never got so busy trying to save everyone that he didn't stop and 
didn't stop and help someone. He never, on his way to the cross, he didn't just say, well, you know, I, I just got to go. I got to go to the cross because, you know, I'm going to bring about salvation for many people. And I've got all the, I'm sorry, I can't help you right now. You're on your own. Uh, Peter, John, take care. I don't know what, I don't know. You take care of it. He never got so busy doing his own thing that he neglected the person in front of him. Let me show you what I mean. Please go into Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. We're going to look at Zacchaeus' personal journey. An incredible passage. To understand it a little bit better, you have to, to really get into the condition. Zacchaeus was notoriously known as being a swindler. He was a tax collector. People had to pay taxes, and he had the authority to collect taxes, but then also to get whatever he wanted on top of what the normal tax was. So I'll say it in this way. Some of you have heard of the notorious B.I.G., right? Some of you. Well, this is no the notorious little Z. So I made that up myself. You could probably tell. So Luke 19, 1 through 10, and we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. Again, what we're going to see is he is, he's notorious for being a swindler, but yet he is on the road to the cross. But notice what happens while he's on, on this path. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Again, he was on the way to the cross. He was passing through, but now he's in Jericho. He's passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. There's the little part, in case you wondered, because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now stop here for just a second. I don't know if this is actual or not, but you can, if, if this is true, but people claim that you can actually go to this same sycamore fig tree in Jericho and they will actually give you a tour. I mean, people, they'll do anything for money, right? They will give you a tour and they will bring you up to this sycamore fig tree that they say is 2,000 years old and is the place where this event occurred, which is pretty incredible. I don't know if it's the actual tree or not, but Jericho is real. And something, even if it's not that tree, what we do know is even people who are all around that area, they identify that this event happened. Zacchaeus was someone who would have been shunned publicly. He would have been somebody walking down the road that other people would have annoyed or just they would have been annoyed at him and they would have looked at him and just lifted up their nose and just in disgust because of what he did and what he represented and how far greed had taken him. And yet, you see, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He wasn't on his way to Jericho. He was on, that's what it said in the beginning of that passage, right? Verse one or two, it says he was, he was passing through. He wasn't going to stop there, but yet he sees Zacchaeus while he's on the road to doing ministry, but he's not so busy trying to save people that he doesn't stop to help someone. So he, he sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is short. Sycamore fig trees, quite honestly, are, are they're an interesting looking tree. They, when they're young, they kind of look like this Bradford pear, sort of, that's out in the front here. They're easy to climb. It would explain why Zacchaeus could have climbed it. And even as they mature, they don't get really, really big in that way. They just kind of get full and the trunks get large. So they, they tend to stay close to the ground. Well, totally explainable why Zacchaeus would pick this tree when Jesus was passing through, that Zacchaeus would climb up and look down. 
Let's continue the passage, see what else happens. Again, verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Stop here for just a second. It's like he, Zacchaeus would have been someone, again, who was hated in his community, who was notorious for being a swindler, wouldn't have had friends other than maybe other tax collectors who were also hated by the community. He just wouldn't have had friends. And and Jesus has the audacity to say, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your home today. Who does that? Who makes their ministry so personal that Jesus specifically targets the person who'd been cast out of the community, the person who was suffering, the person who was hopeless, that Jesus knew was lost in his sin, but Jesus says, no, I'm going to kick it at your house today. I'm not going to the religious person. We're not just going to, we're not going to have tea later. He says, no, I'm going to go to your house. We're going to spend some time together. Who does that? Jesus does that. And I believe that Jesus's people ought to do that. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to murmur. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I have, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came, and, came to seek and save that was lost. Many of the, the, the commentators believe that this is the key verse. Verse 10 is the key verse in the whole gospel of Luke. That the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And now we see who was lost. And what was his name? Zacchaeus. All we know about Zacchaeus is at least he was interested in Jesus to begin with. We don't know what what transpired before this event. All we do know is that through this event, Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. In other words, you just received salvation. You're set free from your sins. And then we see also what happens when somebody commits their life to Jesus. Many times, not in every time, but many times through the course of time, people want to right the wrongs that they've created. And that's what Zacchaeus does. Again, look at the passage. It says, if I've cheated anyone, I want to give back four times. He says, so I, would, I don't want to just make it right by giving you what, what it was that I took. Instead, I want to give four times because I, I want to go over and above. It shows the, the work, the, the regenerative work of God in his life in that moment. That's what this shows. Again, we don't know all that happened. We don't, we don't get all the other details. All we know was he was lost and that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And in this instance, in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, we see his name was Zacchaeus. This would have really blown away the crowd. The crowd would have been furious. The audacity of Jesus to do this. The audacity, you say you're a religious man and, and we've seen that you're a good teacher and you've done these miracles, but the audacity, we hate this person, you should hate this person. You see, the crowd saw a man who was driven by personal greed. That's what they saw. The crowd saw an individual 
who would use anybody to get ahead. The crowd saw someone who would hurt their community. That's what the crowd saw. But that's not what Jesus saw. Instead, he saw somebody with intrinsic worth. That's what he saw. He saw somebody who was valuable. He saw somebody who was an image bearer of God. He saw an individual who reflected God's image. He saw someone with fascinating abilities and potential. Of course he had fascinating abilities and potential. He was a tax collector. He had to have been organized. He absolutely would have been valuable to the kingdom of God. But you see the contrast with the crowd saw and what Jesus saw. There was a, a shallow way that was presented. There was a religious, a deep and religious way that was being portrayed by the religious leaders of the day. But Jesus dismissed both of those. Instead, he made it personal. So personal that he said, today, 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 not tomorrow, not, hey, I'm going to be coming around here in two weeks. He says, today, salvation has come to your house. That's personal. You see, I, I try to make these, my, my communication style as personal as possible. But there's still distance between us. I mean, I try, but, but in this is still shallow. There's something more personal when, when, when you share space with one another. There's something personal when, when you get down on someone else's level and then you try and see the world through their eyes. There's something personal when you get beyond yourself and you pour yourself into someone else. That's what Jesus did. He saw Zacchaeus and he knew that Zacchaeus had lost his sense of identity. He'd lost his sense of identity. He'd been swept up in greed and money and seeking that and taking advantage of people. He saw that Zacchaeus had lost his sense of belonging. He had been cast out of the community because he was the swindler. He was the deceiver. He was the one who was, who was raking the people over the coals, just trying to get as much money as he possibly could. And he saw that Zacchaeus had lost his sense of purpose because chasing money is no purpose for living. And he knew that. And now, after Jesus had said, today salvation has come to your house, then what he imparted to Zacchaeus was hope. So Zacchaeus now had hope. I want to tell you, there is, there is generations of kids who also need hope. There are generations of kids today that need us to be personal. There, there are generations of people who, who feel neglected and marginalized there's an epidemic rise right now in the, in the generations of kids and teenagers. Uh, just a rise in bullying, a rise in emotional abuse, a rise in depression, a rise in self-harm, and a rise in suicide with kids and teenagers. We simply need to open our eyes up and see them and maybe get on their level which means that we just can't settle for deep worship songs and deep studies where we just pick apart the Greek and Hebrew and we feel so good and we feel so intellectual because that form of being deep is actually shallow in disguise. 
Because in that, in that form of, of what we call deep, the religious deep is actually just distance from people. And that's not what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. It's, that's not what the people of God need to do today. You see, the legacy of any great church will not be measured by how many people show up on Sunday morning. It's just not. That's not the legacy of any great church. But rather, by how many of those who come on Sunday actually decide to show up in someone's life. That is going to be the legacy that's going to define a church. It's not simply attending, you know, letting your butt warm a seat. It's not that. I'm not, I'm not excited when, when, when people say, well, I've got this many people going to my church, and I don't want you to be excited about that either. Instead, I want you to be excited about the involvement of God's people when they've taken the message of the gospel in a personal way, and now they've taken it, and not to just hoard it in and of themselves to hide in some re- deep religious kind of existence, but instead we get beyond ourselves and say, no, I want to be personal, where we step out of the seats, we step out of the rows, and we get personal in somebody else's life that is the measure of a successful church is when people do that and they get personal and they show up in someone else's life you see the church i believe this maybe you agree with this and maybe you don't you see the church needs more leaders to learn how to be personal because too many kids feel invisible or ignored the church needs more leaders to show, to show up and to, and to learn how to be personal because there's way too many kids who feel invisible or ignored. The, the church, our church, is, is, is full up of little toddlers who, who, who need us not to serve in a kid's ministry where we sit back and, well, we just sit back and watch the kids play and make sure that they don't put their finger into a light socket. Okay, that's important. But you know what's better than that? That's shallow. That's distance. What's real, what's personal, is then getting on your knees and engaging their world. That's personal. That's what's going to revolutionize a, a, a kid's ministry. When you get personal in that way, or you get personal, maybe it's not for toddlers, maybe it's for elementary kids, or maybe it's middle schoolers. Where instead of fighting, the, you just, instead of just succumbing to, well, just sitting back, well, I can't believe kids these days. Well, I just don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Instead of just sitting here, even, even as a small group leader current, listen to me, instead of just sitting back and saying, well, I just don't know why they do that. Instead, stop expecting them to step into your world. Instead, you step into theirs. That's making it personal. This is impersonal, waiting for them to come to you. They don't know what you know. It's up to you to step into their world. Are you following? This is personal. This is shallow. For high schoolers, middle schoolers, that, that means that instead of just saying, well, I can't believe kids these days, or what are kids up to, or oh my good, goodness, the condition of our culture, what are the kids doing to our country? Instead of saying all that garbage, instead of, of doing all of that, that is shallow and dismissive. Instead, how about you, you invite a, a high schooler to have a cup of coffee and sit down with them? 
So instead of judging them from, your, from their world, instead embrace their world. Get to know them. Ask them questions. Ask them what they, what they love, what they fear. Ask them about their home life, about the types of things that make up their belief and their faith system, the condition of their home, condition of their friendships, condition of what do they like in school, what they don't like in school. That's, that's our job, to connect with the next generation and not take the shallow posture of waiting for the next generation to get right to be like us. That's not what Jesus did. The church needs more leaders to learn how to be personal because too many kids feel ignored or invisible. They feel ignored or invisible because what we've done is we've accepted this distance between us and them. And that's not what Jesus did. And I don't believe that's what we should do. Instead, Jesus was never so busy on the way to saving the world that he didn't stop and help someone. And his name was Zacchaeus. So I want you to consider this. In the times that, that you're tempted to, to live your life and to frame up that perfect picture, to move your laundry basket out of the way, just so you can hashtag no filter on your picture, that's okay to do that every once in a while. But if, if that is how you live, that is incredibly shallow. If that's how you live, that's incredibly shallow. If you've accepted uh, just a bunch of religious talk and theological talk and all the things that you know and how you can break down a Greek uh, participle and what this means and how this means, if you've done all of that and what you have not done was connect personally to people or connect to the next generation, you've accepted shallowness as your normal. So I want you to do this. I want you to stop and think. I want you to stop and think, what am I doing right now? Am I personal? Am I willing to be personal with the next generation? Am I personal with other people? Or am I just shallow? I know this to be true. There's someone who needs you to see them. There is someone who needs you to see them. And maybe the person who needs you to see them right now can't even walk. And they're in the back in DBC Kids, and they just need to be held. And they need to feel that love and affection. But they need you to see them. Maybe they're at the crawling stage, and they need you to see them. If they're entering into the school phase, they need you to see them. If they're, if they're in elementary school, and they have homework and, and sports they need you to see them. If they're in middle school and they just found out that, that boys and girls are different, they need you to see them. If they're in high school and they're talking about their future, they're thinking about their future and everybody's asking about their future, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? They need you to see them. They need you to see them with fresh eyes. But they need you to see them when you've made it personal. You can't be personal with the crowd. You can only be personal with the person. Isn't that true? You can't be personal with the crowd. You have to be personal with a 
person. That's what Jesus did. He ministered to the person in front of him. He didn't dismiss people on the way to getting other things done or getting more important things done. Instead, he considered that is what he needed to do on that given day. And then it turned out with Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. That Jesus was on the, on the way to Jerusalem and on the way to the cross. But he stopped and saved Zacchaeus. So what you have in your seats or around you, if you don't have it in your hand or if you haven't moved it, you may be sitting on it, are cards. And these cards are, are tools that, that I would like to invite you to use. Now, in this way, if you currently serve in DBC Kids or in Arise Student Ministries, you know, if you, I want you to fill out the card and say, you know what, I'm making it personal. So it's, it's, a, it's a commitment. I'm going to make it personal. I'm going to learn what I need to learn. I'm going to do what I need to do, but I'm going to make it personal. So if you currently serve in those environments, fill out that card. Just a way of saying, I'm going to make it personal. If you are at DBC and you're not serving, or you are serving, but yet you want to serve in DBC Kids, or you want to serve in Arise because you want to step out of shallow and you don't want to settle for religious deep, but instead you, you don't want, to, set, you don't want to, to, to do anything but be personal and show up in someone's life, someone in the next generation. If that's you and you want to serve in DBC Kids or in Arise, or you even want to know about it, please fill out that card. When you leave, there'll be people with blue shirts on at the double doors who would take those cards from you. And this is just for us to have a conversation with you. If you're not serving this, just to, just to have a conversation for you, with you so you understand like, what it means in different areas and what you could do. We want you to have the opportunity to speak into the next generation's life. And maybe by your commitment and filling out that card, maybe this is step one. So you can be a Neil or Sally Adams in somebody else's life. So you could be Jesus with skin on. So you could show up for someone like Jesus showed up for Zacchaeus. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, and I thank you for your loving kindness. God, I thank you that, Lord, that you see people as valuable. And I thank you, God, that, that your ministry was deeply personal that you took on flesh and you dwelt among us. And Jesus, we, we could do nothing if you wouldn't have given salvation. All of this would be pointless if it weren't for you, if it weren't for you making this personal. Lord God, I pray that you would inspire people to, to fill out those cards, inspire them to step up and to show up in someone's life, specifically someone in the next generation. God, whether it's a toddler and they just need to get on their knees and embrace a toddler and just love them in that way, or they need to show up in someone who's like in elementary school, God, and they just need to embrace where they are, or maybe it's someone who is... Uh, in middle school or high school, they just need to show up instead of asking for them to, to meet 
uh, us adults where we are, God, give them the courage to step out to meet those kids where they are. Making it personal. Meeting them on their turf. Getting to know their hopes and their dreams and their fears. So that we could be, for the next generation, what you were for Zacchaeus. Personal. Someone who shaped his story. Gave him hope. Amen. Amen.